Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I think Lewis might have too much time on his hands because I cannot believe that that's a story. There's no way that's happening. That means, of course, he's going to be wearing a red suit next year, doesn't it? This always happens. The law of Murphy always intervenes. Our friend, Jerry. And I was disgusted. Welcome to the Collecting Addicts podcast, episode number 32. I come live from my basement in Clifton. Edward Lovett's in a padded cell. Manish Pandey's somewhere in London. Neil Clifford's in the Ultimate Man Cave. And Chris Cooper is somewhere in the Maldives. We are enjoying... Oh, Chris Cooper, unfortunately, is not drinking Lady Petrol this week. He's on the Red Bull. Other yeah, energy drinks nice. are available. And on that subject of Red Bull energy drinks, that leads us into Formula One. Because we're now in the mid-season holiday. We thought we'd give you our Collecting Addicts mid-season update. Manish Pandy, how do you feel about the runners, the riders, and more importantly, the state of the sport itself? Fred Goodwin, when uh, RBS was sinking, was sinking very, very badly, was apparently obsessed with the exact colour blue that he would have for the R, the other blue for the B, and the other blue for the S. So the, um, the story that I would like to talk about is Lewis Hamilton not being very happy with the pronouns being used by the FIA to describe all kinds of things to do with drivers. Oh, he might do this or he would get a penalty. And he's saying that perhaps these things ought to be gender neutral. And I think Lewis might have too much time on his hands because I cannot believe that that's a story. So <laughs> is this, has this really come out of an official news network or is this a bit of speculation? Where's this come from? Well, I mean, there is a quote, um, you know, attributed to him, which has been mirrored by pretty much every site. The FIA are supposed to be looking into it. I think Chris Cooper would probably tell us if that's true or not. But it just seems, oh, come on, you know, one of the dullest seasons we've had, you know, and um, Lewis could say something exciting and 
he says, well, may, may, maybe maybe we ought to make the rule book more inclusive. How does that one work? Well, well, the rule book is inclusive. He hasn't signed his new contract, does he? Maybe that's going to get exciting. Do you, do, you, do, you, um, do you think there's any chance that he's not going to end up at Mercedes? No, he's staying at Mercedes. He's staying, yeah. There's no, there's no way he's going anywhere unless he just woke up one day and said, "You know what? F it." Yeah. When we speak in absolutes, we tend to be undone, though. So when people would that have the authority, the natural authority of Chris Cooper and Neil Clifford say. There's no way that's happening. That means, of course, he's going to be wearing a red suit next year, yeah. doesn't it? It always happens. The law of Murphy always intervenes. That's true. Uh, that's, why we're saying, d- that's why we're I, saying it. We'd like I to just, see a bit of change. Oh, you're willing it. You're willing it to happen. Yeah. He's on a meta level this morning, right this evening. I'll tell, <laughs> you, I'll tell you one thing about the mid-season break. First of all, well, two things. First of all, I think they deserve it because I think the schedule is brutal for them now as a sport. Yeah. If you work for any one of those teams, whether you're the truck driver or the racing driver, I don't envy your job and fair play because you put in a stint, all of you. But the sad thing is normally during the mid-season break, I'm pining for a race. I really miss the fact there's no action. And this year I don't feel quite so True. I'm not I'm not I'm not looking at the the TV schedule or the or the sky controller going, Oh shit, there's not a race this weekend. Yeah. It's quite telling. Normally I am. And I'm not. I'm not missing my hit, and it's not yeah, just because, because I'm anti Max basically... and I'm pro Lewis. It's not. It's just I, I'm not getting it as much at the moment. Well, we've had ninety. What feels like ninety percent of the season already, haven't we? You know, if you've yeah. had some twelve races, oh, where's it going? Yeah. Well, you know, we've got another ten or eleven. Another haven't ten we? to go. Oh. Now there was a bit of a kerfuffle down at Williams, wasn't there, the other day? So, so there's an incredible story yes. where it seemed like the world of fantasy had met Formula One because the numbers that were being banded around for someone who worked in marketing who'd left their role were extraordinary. I thought. Yeah. What's the story we- on that? So manage will tell you. It involved. Do you know no, who's going to manage? No, Chris will tell you. I've said enough. No, I think okay. it involved um, the brother-in-law. Or not directly, but only because he's a chairman of Doralton and chairman of the of the, the business. Um, so Williams, I think, are being sued, and James Matthews was mentioned by a lady who was the marketing director, who I think left the employment of Williams Grand Prix Engineering, and the lady concerned didn't like the circumstances in which she left or was asked to leave, and is now suing Williams and their owners for buckets and buckets full of money because she feels that her cessation of employment was less than honourable and fair in the lud. I love it when you talk dirty. Oh. <laughs> I do special podcasts and special recordings on people's, you know, if you... Oh, that, was, that was pure filth. Is that your OnlyFans page? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good idea. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe there's space for me on OnlyFans as well. Hashtag consultant speak. <laughs> I, actually, I've got more consultant speak to come under this subject. Oh, yes! Just you wait. Yes. Chris, do you think those numbers are being bandied about or people are suing for this kind of money because the cost cap has made all of these teams normally worth plus or minus a few pounds Must be a fact. from 800 million? So you've got yeah. these non-going concerns that are, that are all worth a billion quid. Yeah. So if I get fired from a firm that were, you know that, that's got a total value of two million pounds... I guess I could sue for twenty thousand pounds, but yeah. Now, as ever, there was a bit of a. 
I was being a bit strategic there because I wanted to talk about Williams a bit further. Do we think that the Williams rebirth is still happening? Yes. Or has it stalled? No. What's happening then? Mr. C, what do you think? Because so I'm a massive Williams this. fan. I want to see Williams up yeah. there. Yeah. So I was going to raise this. So um, I was at the Grand Prix at Silverstone on the Friday this year uh, with my Motorsport UK hat on. So I had the great fortune and privilege to be able to go to some of the garages and meet some of the teams on the Friday. And I met with um, James Matthews and Ed Horner. Ed Horner is Christian Horner's cousin, I think. And Ed yes. and I used to race Caterham together a long, long time ago. Um, when I need you to do something, Chris, I will point in your direction with my orchestrating device, but not before. <laughs> so, and I said to them both, I said, you must be chuffed beyond chuffness to have got James Valls as your team principal and said, we can't, you know, it's amazing. I mean, what, what a high. He said something this week, every time he says something in public, well, I noticed two things. One, he says proper stuff in public, not just guffology, it's proper stuff. And the thing he said, this week, <laughs> which caught my eye and my ear, five year plans in F1 are remarkably meaningless. Isn't that just brilliant? And we all know that's true. And he said what we're doing, and he said something this week about when we're at the rec racetrack, we give it everything. We're leaving, leaving nothing on the table. But if somebody offers me the choice between something which, if investing in something, which would give me another tenth of a second later on this year or building the capability which will put us at the front for the long term, there's no question in my mind. So I think it's a strategic leader and manager, the setting of a visionary and somebody with the expertise and capability to say, not we're going to be third in three years' time and second in five years' time. Here's the capability we need. Here's the capability, the structure, the expertise, the capacity, the people. That's our plan. It's a plan for capability because capability will deliver results, if we're lucky, because that's Formula One. So I think as a leader in the sport, he, he seems to have the backing and understanding of his board and his investors. He's clearly left nobody in any doubt as to, I will take this job, I will be the team principal, if these are the terms in which we're going to all do it together. So it isn't going to be overnight, because clearly, I mean, some things he said in the last few weeks, said, I found stuff that is not as good as Mercedes or Braun was 20 years ago. That's how far off the pace, because Williams, like so many teams before they all became worth a lot, were in that I've got to live to fight today. So everything they did went to surviving or trying to do better today rather than tomorrow. Mm. So, oh, that many business leaders in high tech or complex industries thought that way. So, no, I think uh, I'm I'm really impressed with him. I think he's mega. Oh, Clifford, bring us back to basics. What do you want oh. to see? in the second half of the season? Because you're not going to get what you want. There's no Lewis's eighth this year. What do you want to see? Someone else to win a race. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's honestly the biggest well, yeah. ambition that I have for the, this bloody season. Okay, so should we make a deal with ourselves? If someone else wins a race, we will detail a load of silly stuff that we'll do for charity because we feel we have to. We have to do yeah. something. If, yeah. if, some, if anyone wins a race... We'll do something silly and we'll make sure that between us, we present £1,000 between us to a charity of your choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Done. We have to. 
who do, who do we think could win that race? I think, well, I think whoever wins the race, it won't be who you expect it to be. It'll be a Hulkenberg oh. or a, someone like that. It'll be totally random. Wet race, shunts everywhere, mayhem, outcome of mayhem, weird winner. Is yeah, that mayhem and Monza. Yeah. Bam, yeah. Mayhem Edward, any thoughts on the Formula 1? Uh, well, I was I was hunting for some news today, and I I noticed uh, Massa is still challenging his Singapore <laughs> uh, thing <laughs> from five years ago, and that um, Verstappen's going to get punished for driving a Aston Martin Valkyrie on the French motorways at 124 kilometers an hour, uh, wearing well, with one hand on the steering or some nonsense like that. Saw that Valkyrie looked good, didn't it? He's that's yeah. cool. It did, yeah. <laughs> He's off brand there, isn't he? Yeah, the massa thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we need to give a few minutes on that. It seems a very strange way to go about securing a championship. To me, um, the record books have already been set in stone, and I think if you start to look back ret- retrospectively and adjust things, dangerous place, isn't it, in sport? Yeah. Dangerous place. Sterling Moss. Said- I mean, it was fifteen years ago. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Two thousand and eight. It was fifteen years ago. It's ridiculous. Yeah, were you about to say? I heard Sterling Moss might reapply for the one he lost by one point. <laughs> 1958. Of course, if only Sterling was around, maybe he could sit down with Felipe and say, look, this is how you handle it with dignity, because yeah. no one was more dignified than Sterling, was he? Yeah. And uh, by the way, here comes some crumpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the most important uh, summer news really is uh, the Instagram account uh, F1 Wags. You know they were uh, they they had a lovely time. What? <laughs> I think F one wags. It was F one wags. There really was. Yeah. Is that an OnlyFans account again? Should I should I twin myself my new OnlyFans <laughs> account with theirs? So we're going to move now from this. This is really a, a very fortunate segue. We're going to move from F one wags as an OnlyFans <laughs> account to what's your favourite tunnel? <laughs> I said that with a straight face. Neil Clifford, help me out here, please. Well, there was obviously a big, a uh, big event that happened in a tunnel this week, and that what that's what made me think about God. Uh, tunnels are really good. Obviously, one. Tell us what, what that big event was. Maybe not everyone knows. I think so- someone crashed. Actually, the ex Lewis Hamilton Zonda. Yeah. Going up to bloody Wales, bless him. How unlucky! You'd be seriously pissed off. But that's uh, not his favourite tunnel. No, mm. no. But I think we all have our favourite tunnels, don't we? Yeah, about to find out. (laughs) What's yours, Neil? Did I talk about my favourite tunnel? Go on. Actually, there are many tunnels in Italy that I adore, but I don't know the names of them. So even though I've sort of roared through them in flashy 599 GTOs or actually lovely little Alpha GTAs in Sicily, I don't know the names of them all. So I'm going back to Earth and the A3 between Guildford and Portsmouth. Now that tunnel, that tunnel—it's a pretty mediocre tunnel in a way, um, and it's got like a million speed cameras in there, so you have to have to behave yourself. But I commuted for two years from Portsmouth, Debenhams, which was I was the, the assistant manager in Portsmouth, Debenhams, in 1984, and I was promoted to the manager of the Guildford Debenhams. Obviously, not the whole store. This was just the principals for men suit department, and at a little out. Sud 1.5 on a wire edge 83. And I commuted from Portsmouth to Guildford for 18 months. This was before the tunnel. And if anyone yeah. 
that shitty road going round the devil's bloody doodah. Elbow. Devil's the, punch bowl. Devil's punch bowl um, and hindhead. I mean, it would kill you because the, it was it was single lane. You were there for half an hour. And then suddenly, I mean, it took 20 years, I'm sure, they built this amazing tunnel. So all my family still live in Portsmouth. I can get to Portsmouth 20 minutes quicker. I can get to Revival at five in the morning, zooming through that tunnel in some car that you're panicking, that you're overheating and the battery's going to go flat and the fucking petrol gauge doesn't work or whatever it is. But you are in a lovely tunnel. So in the United Kingdom, that is my favourite. I love it. I love the idea that you've also thought about that tunnel so deeply. Um, <laughs> Edward Lovett, uh, um, I never thought I'd say this. Tell me about your favourite tunnel. First first of all, I think, I, I, you know, I've had plenty of accidents. I don't know if I've talked about any of them yet. <laughs> Not in this episode so far. Uh, you know, any, anyone, anyone that has an accident, I feel awful for them. But, um, but I've got a few. Um, the road uh, we talked about some of these early on, but I think this was our favorite motorway. The road from Portofino back to Genoa, just s swooping uh, highway, amazing tunnels. Um, but and as a child, we used to drive down, um, or well, we still do drive down. I'm just not a child anymore. Um, to be the judge of that, debatable. <laughs> And when you pull off the motorway uh, at Bourg-en-Bresse and head your head head down to Geneva, as a family, and I do it with my children now, there's about five different tunnels from varying in length. And uh, as we appear to them, I say to the kids, uh, right, one, two, three, hold your breath, and we, we see see how long we can hold our breath through the uh, through the tunnels. I beat them every time. I, they're they're not very good. I'm going to have to train them better to uh, to improve. But there's there's two other tunnels. <laughs> You're going to deprive your children. Yeah, I am. Yeah, you should say there is no cause for social services to be alarmed at any part of this story. I would I would love to go and drive over the bridge and then into the tunnel between Denmark and Sweden. Has anyone done that? No, I know what you mean. though. Uh, yeah, called the. Um, or send bridge, I think, and it yeah, yeah. Le leaves Denmark and that goes turns from a bridge in into a tunnel. So I'd like to go and do that. Maybe we can have a little collecting addicts run up there one day. And I was in Melbourne uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and they had an amazing installation that they put in the tunnel underneath the city, which has got these lights to set the pace of the cars. Um, all that run along the outside uh, walls of the tunnel, which I thought was a brilliant, That's uh, clever, brilliant. And it, well, it was sort of artistic, but very good to set your pace. And it uh, really has dealt with uh, the traffic issues underneath Melbourne, apparently very effectively. $20 million that was for the light installation. Chris Cooper, what's your favourite tunnel? <laughs> so it depends why it's favourite. <laughs> Depends why it's favourite. Um, because the Hindhead Tunnel, I really do like. Because actually, there's neither I are probably astral twin separated at birth. Because I used to commute as a student up and down the A3 when I lived in Kent. You go along the A25, M25, A25 to Godalming, and then turn left down the A3. 
through Hindhead, Hazelmere, blah, blah, blah. And that there was there was a bit of dual carriageway going up towards the Devil's Punch Bowl and coming back down, there's a bit of dual carriageway coming out of Hindhead where everyone sort of like concertina into one again for the little slow bit, whatever. So the, the, it's actually quite a nice tunnel. It's got average speed cameras rather than speed cameras. So it does enhance one of the aspects of why we like tunnels. You can slow down and then give it the berries because it's slowing down and giving the berries. One of the problems with the Hindhead tunnel is it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, it's too tunnely and round. So you get an awful lot of tire resonance and echoing. So if you, if you took the windows down and roof down, all you can hear is bloody tire noise. What we want to hear is just, you know, whether it's a Rossi 4 or straight 6 or V12. But I like the Hindhead tunnel because it's sort of, it's part of that journey. You come out, you sort of, you start in Surrey. Hampshire. I think you start in Surrey and you end up in Hampshire. Lovely. It's fantastic. So that's why I like that. The other one I like, which, which is a really weird one because it's a horrible tunnel, but I really like it, is um, Blackwall Tunnel northbound. Oh. Because it's quite technical. It's quite technical. The apex is, it's, it's the northbound tunnel is the original tunnel. The southbound tunnel. So northbound tunnel goes up the map, and the southbound tunnel goes down the map. Northbound tunnel was original. It was both two ways. So the corners, it's got bloody ridiculous cores in it. Everyone knows that part of London will know. So there's a temptation to go up to the corner and sort of stop, turn the wheel, and carry on. But you can carve a line. So if you like the aesthetics of carving lines, the Blackwall Tunnel is right. The big advantage of it is because you have to slow down a bit for the corners. You then get a little bit of burst at like 20 miles an hour. So you get a bit of rottiness. So actually, if you like the aesthetics of carving a line in quite a tricky tunnel, like a mini Monaco in my mind, I know I'm a bit sad. I really love the Blackwall Tunnel northbound. When it's full okay. of traffic, it's shit. It's so like to say that Richard Branson will soon be selling tickets to the inside of Chris Cooper's head. Yes, um, I hope so. £400,000 a pop because they are clearly <laughs> not from this solar system. But that was a, an absolutely lovely deconstruction. Also, he touched on the fact that we like to give it the berries. Yes. I'll leave that there. We'll leave that there on the table. For Thank the you, Nige. Okay, uh, let's go to Manish. What's your favourite tunnel? <laughs> um, <clears throat> another little Californian story, but um, I've had the pleasure of um, taking Pacific Coast Highway from Los Angeles up to San Francisco, and once actually back down again. I don't know if you guys have done PCH one. It's just um, it's a, it's it's such a beautiful journey, and I think it is. You know, you've got Big Sur and things like that, and there's a a little town actually called San Luis Obispo, which is about halfway where you can stop. The food's great, and you have a a bit of grass. You look at you like look out at that Pacific, and um, there is something very 60s about how that makes me feel. I did the journey. Stop doing that. I did that journey. <laughs> I did that journey a few times. And then in, um, I can't remember, it was around 2010, late, just after that, they built um, a tunnel called uh, the Devil's Slide Tunnel. And if you're going up to San Francisco, I think it was six, seven years ago, did this, you literally, it, it's just, it's amazing. You kind of, you've got, You've got the Pacific to your left. You're heading north. Suddenly you head inland. You go into this tunnel. You go down. You come out. You look up. And 
it's not quite the San Francisco skyline, but you are just south of San Francisco, and there is the conurbation. It's just, it's one of the best exits. It's this, this beautiful sort of countryside that you don't imagine is California, and then literally 20 minutes later, you're just on the outskirts of southern San Francisco. That is a fine tunnel to exit. That sounds like a good bit of tunnel to me. Mm. Now, Chris, um, Chris you, you have I'll, a favourite tunnel. I'll let I'll let you into a secret. I don't like tunnels. I'm quite claustrophobic. Really? Um, I, 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 the, the best part of the tunnel for me is when I start to see natural light coming towards me, and that always makes me go, phew, I'm, I'm through the tunnel. I don't like them much. I've done lots of silly things in tunnels. I have a video somewhere of myself and Phil Bennett in 2003, or 2000, yeah, three, 2003, 2004, doing 190 miles an hour side by side in a Challenge Stradale in a GT3 south of Turin. And the tunnel goes on forever. And the cars are tracking so closely that it looks like we're doing about 30 miles an hour. We're not. They're absolutely flat out in sixth gear at the top. And I look back on it and think, I'm not sure I like tunnels too much. They scare me. So my favourite tunnel is a little tunnel on the A40, which becomes the M50 near Monmouth. Because when you go into it, you can see the end of it. <laughs> I like seeing the end of it when I get into it, but I like having it long enough so I can make a bit of noise. Yes. So what I will say is this. I have never knowingly entered that tunnel and not changed down a gear. <laughs> when I should logically change up a gear. So I'll go down a gear and I give myself a bit of noise. And I always think, and this is, there's two stages to this for me. My brain recognises the noise and it says, oh, that was a good noise. And then afterwards it goes, actually, it wasn't a very good noise. It was a rather thuggish version of the noise my car normally makes. Because I'm not convinced that tunnel exhaust noise is a great noise. I think it's quite fun. It's an instant gratification, but I think it's also quite low quality noise. I think there's something about the way that it resonates that makes a lot of it makes a lot of very sexy sounds sound a bit ordinary. Are you giving it enough or not? berries? Sorry. Are you giving it enough of the berries? Well, maybe not. Chris Cooper's waving his pencil at me. Get in there, Chris. So uh, you, you're up. You're absolutely right. And I was, as I alluded earlier on, it depends what kind of tunnel. And there are some acoustic qualities of tunnels. And I think it's to do with bore. That's mm. very important. The general geometrics of it is it straight lined or flat roof or whatever, and how long it is. But yeah, my favourites are that almost like motorway bridges, quite a low bridge where you think I can see the road the other side, but it's just long enough for a burst in second gear, windows down, roof down, whatever. Um, it can be thuggish, but I really like it. <laughs> there, we go. there we go, Chris Harris. Sorry, Chris Cooper just said that he thinks a tunnel can be thuggish, but he likes it. Um, <laughs> right, here we go. Uh, single Mark Love, the beginning of an occasional series devised by Neil Clifford. Um, we're going to talk about Jaguar, because there was a statement made, and I think we referenced it last week, that someone very senior in Jaguar Land Rover said that there was a zero equity left in the Jaguar brand. And I think we all feel that that might not be a statement that we support because we love many old Jaguars and we might be able to see a way of using that equity going forward. Neil Clifford, tell me why, as the proud owner of the coolest Jaguar of the last 10 years, the Project 8, why you think there might be life yet in, and this has nothing to do with the tunnel, 
the Growler. <laughs> I hadn't read this article that Mr. Cooper had mentioned, our friend Jerry. And I was disgusted. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It should be, Jerry should be a German. I mean, yeah, he probably is. <laughs> why, why would you, no, look, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm too emotional. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too old-fashioned. But what the fuck is he talking about? This is a, a mark that's won Le Mans seven times. Yeah, should be. I think but personally, I think but to let let you carry on in a second. But I think a lot of what he said is based on internal squabbles between Jaguar and Land Rover's design departments. Personally, I think it's a I think it's a bit of infighting that spilt out into the public domain. Sorry, Neil, to interrupt. Carry on. He's the creative director of this thing. He shouldn't be getting involved in political struggles or certainly keeping his gob shut to the to the public. This is, this is our Porsche, just, you know, not to sort of get the old Union Jack out and start doing the sort of Dad's Army start of, 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 of that programme. But what is it? Porsche have won the most, I think, Le Mans, then maybe probably bloody Audi. What comes after that? Jaguar? Maybe Ferrari. But we're certainly, uh, Jaguar certainly won more Le Mans than Bentley. One or two more, I think. Yeah. I think... And it's not just about the more, is it? It's about all of the incredible cars, all the incredible people that feel passionate about those brands, the C-type, the D-type, the bloody... Let's, let's, this week's book is Book of Dyslexics number seven by Dennis Jenkinson with lots of pictures that one can look at without looking at all those little words. <laughs> now, of course, Enzo Ferrari did say this was the best-looking car ever built before the 275 came out let's be clear yeah. but nevertheless the e-type jaguar i mean probably one of the most successful cars ever designed and built in the united kingdom um and we don't even talk about xj12 or all those beautiful saloons that often did win best saloon ever yeah. it was the bloody s class what's that d-type that uh, fourth at Le Mans, four, the fourth uh, top winning manufacturer. Yeah. Porsche, Audi, Ferrari, Jaguar, I would think. Yeah, They're, Porsche, yeah. Audi, Ferrari, Jaguar. Yeah. So, oh. I, you know, how how can you how can you express such a load of bullshit? Frankly, that, I mean, maybe you could argue that it's all a bit late and it's all going electric, and you know, but that's that's rubbish. Porsche, Porsche aren't giving up, are they? No. 
oh, well, it's electric cars now. We're going to close the company down. We're not going to have any creativity. I mean, for fuck's sake, they should just sell the brand to Geely or someone, someone that actually going to invest in it. I think that I, I do want it. So it was the creative director, was it? That made Jerry that? the McGovernator, Jerry McGovern, who is the chief creative officer of what we are asked to now call JLR. I think that there's no there's no doubt, uh, Neil. I totally agree with your passionate defence, by the way. But I think for many years now, Jaguar have probably been trying to find all different ways to get traction in the marketplace to sell their new cars. And I'm sure they've copied Ferrari and Porsche and have lent on their heritage. And they still don't have the answer because they still aren't selling the number of cars they want to sell. So they're trying to convince themselves to take a drastically different direction rather than continuing to make the mistake they make. Or I'm not saying they've made a mistake. They just might have not executed it. uh, They have made mistakes. Say that again. They have made mistakes. Well, they have, but you know, surely they don't. When and if and if and if they correlate that to selling the right message that the modern consumer of a Jaguar is not interested that it's the fourth most winning brand at Le Mans, um, and are they interested in what an E-Type looked like or an XKSS or a D-Type, etc.? Because that's not going to help us sell an I-Pace. Um, you know that that surely they're just questioning to themselves what do they need to do before they throw the brand in the bin because we don't have any more money to support it yeah so you I, neil is right you um, go, if you're jerry sorry i'm gonna i'm getting on my, i'm getting on my soapbox here you go go and walk around the paddock at revival yeah see yeah. The, this brand go and talk to um the most amazing people that look after these cars go up yeah. and up and have a chat with Guy Broad in Coventry, who's actually on Browns Lane. I was yeah. there years ago. There but, are lots of people that are super passionate, care about this brand, and would, frankly, more importantly, would buy a new Jaguar if one was good. Well, that, well that's that's. I guess that's the argument, isn't it? Because at the moment, if they go and ask all those people and they ask them, you know, that's you've got a lovely E-Type, you've got a lovely XKSS, what is your road car? And I'm sure it's an Audi, Mercedes, or BMW, or a Range Rover in most cases. Yeah. Can I? Can I? Yeah, I, can, before, but I know Chris is waving his, his pen, but I'm, I'm going to allow myself to interject slightly here. I think there are two responses to this: what one's emotional, one's practical. Um, I think, on an emotional level, the um, I have to ask myself that if if a company produced a car that looked like a, a, an E-Type or an XKSS or had that that 60s late 50s, early 60s, look, sports car look, and was called a Jaguar, was electric, would you buy it? The answer is yes. So that means that the current Jaguar management got it wrong because there's quite clearly, there are people out there that would buy those cars. The practical consideration is the really boring bit, and that is that if you look at most car companies that are prestige in terms of their brand positioning, where they've made their money in the last 20 years is making SUVs, and JLR Jaguar has been so badly hampered by the fact that that company already has an SUV brand that happens to be world-leading. Jaguar tries to make SUVs, but the fact is people would rather have a Range Rover. So it doesn't have the ability to suddenly turn on the taps and make a few more billion by leveraging the brand in the SUV landscape. So it is hampered that way. But to say that there is zero brand equity in, in Jaguar it's so sad. It just makes me just makes me feel terribly, terribly, yeah, 
uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I just don't yeah. believe that's a statement that's supportable. Yeah. I think it's in dire straits. I think the management hasn't used what's at its disposal. But the idea that that if you look at the way Porsche can plunge, you know, you know, it can use its heritage in a way that is so helpful to itself, and yet and yet Jaguar has never really tried. I mean, you know, Type 7, what's that all about? You know, you, they, they put some stickers on the side of the car and put a wing on the back of an F-Type. It's not good enough. You know, they should be doing much cleverer things. Sorry, yeah. Chris but Cooper, you, see, you want to go. You get so, the point. No, before Mr. Cooper gives us a definitive answer, I just want to say one thing, which is that um, his Jerry McGovernus is not Luca Montezemolo. And what you're really saying here, surely, is what's the vision what is the vision that's so sort of British, that touches upon heritage, that touches upon the old, which actually manages to translate into the new? And I think that takes a very, very special kind of manager. And that's not some creative designer who could well be doing, I don't know, origami penguins. You know, you, you look look at, um, you know, and I have spent time with this man, I know it. What, what does Luca bring to Ferrari? He brings his Italianness, his whole... Italianness into that. That's pasta. It's design. It's every shoe he's worn. It's every handbag that he's ever chosen for um, for a wife. And I think Jaguar surely has got all of those British components in it somewhere. And don't we just need to find the right person, the person who can touch upon? Well, that's Connolly leather. Yeah. Well, that's Walnut Bear. Well, this is really good English design. <laughs> And if you get that right, you're telling me that America, which buys the royal family by the sack load, you know, China, which actually does the same thing, um, wouldn't buy a Jaguar because they would. It's clearly Mr. McGovern is completely the wrong guy to sit down and, you know, and transmute all of that Englishness into something that we would all buy. And it doesn't matter whether it's electric or diesel or or an IC. There is something that, you, you know, these cars have to represent. Neil's chest puffs up because he's talking about being at the revival, feeling a particular way about a particular car and a particular mark or a bunch of cars under a particular mark. And there's got to be someone out there who can do that, who can pick up on all of these little elements and create this thing or these things. Chris it requires leadership. Yes. And if you draw a line between the XK120, the E-Type, and the XJ6 of 1968, mm -hmm. you can see what Jaguar stood for. It was a performance car brand that did luxury. And from 1968... Race, pace, and space. Race, pace, and space. Got it. And from 1968 to about 2007, eight. Uh, it lost its way. And you can read lots of people's very, very sensible words on this. And it was clear it was, you know, an accident of so many circumstances, the BLMC Jaguar being bought and sold a million times, you know, for, from the 60s until probably the 80s. It didn't even own the company that was producing its body pressings. Press Steel was owned by Ruby Owen and then somebody else. So from that 30-year period, it lost its way. And it's very, very clear there were too many people that had too many ideas that didn't add up and they all thought they had the right idea. Nobody had, there was no leadership on the idea. So the brand started to, it did start to atrophy, but we're all, I think, honestly, we are all right. And I've got my sensible trousers on here, bereft of my lady petrol. This is a serious point. I'm totally with Neil. I can see why the McGovernator has done this. Yeah. He is trying to clear the decks to yep. persuade the investors and the owners of Tata that there is a new 
use for the brand, which is this three-stage EV program that's got nothing, no inheritance from the last 30 years. I sort of get that. But I hope, with the same passion Neil feels, that Mr. Bloody Jerry will rue the day when somebody leaked to Autocar magazine that he'd use those words. Because frankly, Jerry, academically as well as practically, your words don't stand up to academic or pragmatic or emotional scrutiny. Brand equity is an industry of academia that looks at this stuff. Brand equity is really easy to define. It's really easy to measure. It, on Nike's balance sheet, the Nike brand is valued about $40 billion. It's the value that the business has because the product has one difference on it from anybody else's. It's got the Nike brand on it. That's what brand equity is. What is it? It's awareness. It's perceived quality. It's brand association. All the things that Neil described, these aren't whimsical or emotional and other things. They're real things which stand up to lots of scrutiny. So there is a there is brand equity. There is a number that does appear on their balance sheet. And to my concern with where it is, because he, he probably he's not trying to destroy it, but he may end up destroying it. Because there are by cutting the links to all of those things, you can't go back in time and design an e-type if you didn't have one. You can't go back in time and create the stories that you know our children and their friends all read about and understand. You can't go back in time and create a product that would look the way that it does at the revival of Festival of Speed. And in the same way that the Land Rover brand is in danger of disappearing because of troubles they've got, all of that says, I'm sorry, Jerry, you're wrong. Yeah. It does have equity. And there are lots of people, you know, we're not, this is not a Luddite view. It's not a an old-fashioned view. All of us have looked with great frustration at what the dealers look like and the products look like at last. Clearly, you go into Jaguar showroom right now, and it's a bit bereft. But to say there is no equity in the brand whatsoever, how dare he? Maybe one of the tests that should be applied is. Would a Chinese car company want to buy Jaguar? I think the answer is yes. Of course they would. Yeah. That's all you need to know, isn't it? In the, in the yeah. past, would the be... right, but would they do the right thing with it, though? Well, look what, Geely's done, look what Geely's done with Volvo. A fantastic, yeah. a fantastic yeah. case study in how to take a brand, yeah. nurture its its essence, yeah. and launch it onto the international stage with real resources. That's what they've done. And I think yeah. they could, I think I could imagine someone doing that with Jaguar. Let's hope they do. And if they do, maybe, maybe they put, might put Jerry on notice. You never know. I would, <laughs> I would challenge whether a Chinese brand would want to buy a Jaguar now. When you look, look at what's happening with B1. Well, they bought, well, they bought the, MG, so, you know, yeah. look what they're doing with yeah. that. Oh, well, that, that, um, that. Maybe they've made enough mistakes and, you know, they've got this Vietnamese one that's just gone onto the New York Stock Exchange that uh, exploded on the first day of trading. I, I think it might have half since. Um, I'm going to have to move this on, guys, because my battery's running down. So you're going to lose me at the end <laughs> of this, which might make the rest of the podcast rather good for all the people that say that I interrupt too much. I apologise now. Um, so... September is UK Car Event Month, apparently. What event are you looking forward to most? Neil Clifford, you love an event. I do love an event. More, 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 more active than static, I would say, which which um 
I'm, I'm sure we've all been watching, certainly I have, with jealousy, on, on California Car Week. And every mm, yeah. so I'm like, fuck, why didn't I go this this time? And I've, I've actually been, but I was there a week, er, a week early. I know Ed's been a few times. I will absolutely go next year. All my all my good, young, super talented photographer mates is there. Alex, Tommy, Helen, Roger, Freddie, Alex Penfold, who is like the king of photography, actually shipped his GT4 to New York and drove to California. Wow. I mean, who's that? Oh, to be young again. Yeah. Fucking fantastic. So I'm, I'm desperately looking forward to September because it, it, is, it, is the, it is our car month. And I suppose I have to say one thing, Revival. You know, you know, we've talked about it before. It is the World Cup final of motor racing, vintage car events. It is just fantastic. I'm going on the Friday. I'm going on the Saturday. I'm hoping to sleep in the back of my car. At, um, what's what's the straight? What's the straight you go down? All two Lavin. Lavin, a Lavin car park, sleeping in the back of my Jaguar, Jerry, a fucking Jaguar. <laughs> and He's very angry. It's very angry. <laughs> I suppose Edward will mention the other little September the third event because the static events go. That is the best one. That's the best one of the year. But I would opt for revival without a doubt. And if you haven't been, bloody go because it's incredible. Uh, let's let's go straight to Edward then. EFL, what's happening on the third? Um, well, there's the London Concourse to Elegance, which I believe will be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But on the 3rd, the Sunday, the Collecting Addicts will be doing a live podcast there at midday. So have a look on our website, have a look on their website, buy a ticket, come listen to us waffle on about, I'm not going to say what, but something interesting. Important we'll stuff. make sure that we will hand out pencils that have got Listen to me, Chris Cooper, written on them, okay? There will be Chris my, Cooper my pencils. They'll be there, ready to go, to point at your friends saying, just just you, buddy, watch out. And we will also be having a coffee run on the 16th of um, September at Bista, uh, which I think we've all agreed we'll be doing a live podcast at as well. So uh, come, come see us, sign up on the website. I think we've got 1,500 cars already signed up to join us on that one. Bloody hell. Manage what you do in September. No, 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 just quick. Chris Cooper, you're not allowed to have a white pencil. I mean, literally, it looks like you're conducting a symphony. It really, every time you point that thing, I feel like a third violinist. Do you? I, you, you could be my first finalist, Mash. Oh, oh now mind. we're talking. Always my first one. Now we're talking. Right, uh, manage car events, September. Yeah, no, no, no. So Neil Clifford, as, as ever, hits the bullseye twice. I think the two most beautiful things I've ever been, Goodwood Revival, is that there is nothing like it. There is just nothing, nothing like it. A few years ago, I managed to go with a friend who had um, Joe McCurry and Adrian Newey working on his... Jaguar. Sorry? Give me a Jaguar. Probably a Jaguar. Adrian Newey's E-Type. No, 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 no. He, he actually, it's a friend called Christian, but it's not Christian Horner, and he has a 500 TR. And it wouldn't, it, they just, they, they couldn't get it going. And so all night, Joe McCurry and um, Adrian Newey played with it, got it working. And I think, I think, I think because of qualifying problems, he started sort of three from the back. And I've never seen a car worth that much money cut through so many cars worth so much money. I think he finished fourth or fifth 
It was probably the most exciting time my son and I have ever had in our lives. And there again, there's just something about the revival. It's Cars meets Wimbledon meets your favourite air show ever. It's just got everything. It's just got everything. And people are so nice. People are so nice. You can just go up to a car and go, well, what's that? And somebody won't treat you like a moron. Or a third violinist. Well, or a lower violinist. <laughs> they'll, they'll talk you through it and they'll explain why they bought it and they'll explain what it meant to them and they'll explain what it means to them. And oh, it's, a, it's a wonderful event. And I would say number two, and I completely restart it, Hampton Court. It's just completely wonderful. It is a completely wonderful, again, very English, very, very wonderful. Um, and lunch is really nice there too. That's what I would say, especially for teaching. Especially for um, well, so all of the above. I, I gather you're a keen harpist as well as a violinist. Um, generally, the string section. Generally, the string section. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the Southampton Boat Show. Well, that's not strictly speaking about cars. No, but that's that's a that's a good day out though. It's a yeah. very good day out. It's a very good day out. Also, um, can I? It's a very good day to go if you if you have a partner that whinges about how much money you spend on cars, take them to a boat show because the rest of your the rest of your yeah. year will look very cheap, cheap. and they'll think you're it good value. Cheap, yeah. Uh, and it's a very small because my, my early life used to be in yacht racing and dinghy racing and so forth. So um, it's always nice going to see people. Um, I mean, Neil, you you love this one, the Cop Hill Climb. Cop Hill Climb. It's a lovely, eccentric, eclectic, gentle wonderful there's a little hill somewhere it's sort of sort of between where neil and i is but maybe just to the north of where you are but it's, it's just a lovely lovely event um i'm not sure it's going to fit in our september because our september's are really really busy but cop hill event the cop, cop hill climb is lovely i will really. be driving a jaguar jerry up the hill yeah <laughs> i'm uh, i'm gonna say the revival uh because uh it's just sensational. The spa six hours if you can get out there to see the cars. It's a bit later this year. I think it might that might be no, that will be in September. The spa six hours has the greatest paddock of racing cars on the planet. Yeah, the revival does. doesn't. Spa has more cars to look at, and it's not too far from the UK. Well worth a drive over. Um, but I, I revival. So I'm, I'm I'm managing to race this year because I've got myself a bit into into some organisational. Uh, normalness. So I've got uh, A35 Austin that I'm racing with Marino Franchitti, and I'm in a Porsche 911 in, in the 911 race. I think that's called the Ford Water this year. I'm they're, jealous they're of that. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I'm doing a bit of racing. I'll be there wearing collected cars overalls. Come and say hello uh, and have a selfie taken with Edward Lovett. I'm taking my Edward Lovett mask so that I look good enough to race that day. Uh, uh, we have to turn to up eat. to that. We Sorry? We're turning up to that. We are turning we, up. Everyone has to come. Now. We're going to come. I'm going to read out the two-car garage. It's going to be... I have to move my telephone, and I don't want it to run out of battery or do something funny and cut me off. This really is so techy now. Me so, too. Do you want us to read it The two-car garage runs as follows. You are 28 and have just managed to get onto the property ladder, finally, by saving solidly for five years, and you have just completed on your first two-bed flat in Leeds with your long-term girlfriend. Therefore, you have not much spare cash at all especially with interest rates as they are anyway your adorable and thoughtful grandmother just passed away sad last week and bless her she knew how hard you have worked and how much you adore cars 
Um, so she's left you 20k to spend on your dream two-car garage. Grandmas are freaking great, aren't they? Yeah. They're so underrated. Um, uh, with your York, with the Yorkshire Moors on your doorstep for heel and toe practice, you need one four-door and one two-door cabrio for five years of reliability. They need to be cool enough to show up at caffeine and machine some weekends, but importantly, you mustn't have any big bills. There's a lot of banana skins here, again. Yeah. So many that Manage could have posted this, but I think it was Neil that actually did it. Manage is the banana skin king, I find, normally. So let's start with Manish. Um, I thought this was brilliant, and it was really, really good not to um, piss away a whole chunk of money and have to think about this. And 28 years old. I think you, you really don't want to look like a moron at 28, do you? You're still quite cool at 28. And I thought about something that you had said, Mr. Harris, about Uncle Henry and the fact that he creates very, very good cars, especially very good small cars. And I found a rather wonderful 2017 Ford Fiesta ST3 five-door 185 horsepower six-speed manual nice nine thousand five hundred ninety-five pounds so it's got six years old thirty-eight thousand miles it's really quick it's really sexy that gearbox is really rather wonderful and that is less than ten thousand pounds and i don't think much is going to go wrong with it is it yeah i agree That's very very good choice Gabriel. Yep. Oh, and for the cabriolet, I thought there could only be one thing, and I found it. Um, low mileage, two-owner example, half-leather upholstery, multifunction steering wheel, 17-inch bullet alloys, Mini Cooper 1.6 cabrio. Absolutely gorgeous. 24,000. A little bit they are, older. They're very, we're talking the early one. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mark, right. the first exactly. generation. Yeah, yeah. First gen. It's just such yeah. an... And I found one that's yellow with the two black stripes up the bonnet. And I think you're going to look... I think you're going to look good yeah. in that. Mm -hmm. And actually, that segues nicely back to our Jaguar conversation. Because if I could employ anyone to design a new Jaguar that looked like a new Jaguar but had old Jaguar in it, it would be Frank Stevenson, who did that. Absolutely. Because yeah. he, yeah. he was and is a genius. That is, is a, a that's the best interpretation of an old design I've ever seen. Neil Clifford, do you agree? I agree. He's brilliant. I, I think mean, it's even nicer. It's even nicer than the Fiat 500, don't you think? Even oh, it's, a, it's just a fun. When you see them on the road now, they make you smile because they're so clever and pretty. Neil Clifford, what are your, what's your two-car garage? I reckon I've got about 6% battery left, so move quickly. Be quick. I was accused last week of creating a make-believe Mitsubishi Pajero Evo that doesn't exist for 14 grand. Um if I read the comments, which well, if you take that, what, what's Chris Cooper taking? Yeah, so I've, I've, uh, my cabriolet is a car I bought last week, so I definitely know it exists. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> Fantastic! Actually, choosing a car that I've bought since the last fucking podcast, <laughs> Mazda MX Five Mark One yeah. right here. V6 conversion. Oh! In green. Nice. How much? How much? 
serviced at Rocketeer by Bruce. Some of you have met Bruce. He's a dude. We're having daily conference calls on this on this upgrade of the steering wheel. <laughs> Car is going to be absolutely bloody fantastic, and it was fifteen thousand pounds. No way! You got a five. You got a fiver left. Yep. So I've got a fiver left, and 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 I've gone off piece really because you can't. You can't be a car lover. I know it's. I know someone else has might have said this before without having an Alfa Romeo. Um, so I'm going. He was right. He was right. He's right yeah. about many things. He was right about that as well. And you need a V6 Alfa Romeo. So you're going to take a bit of a punt that the engine isn't going to blow up in five seconds. It's the, the discussion between 166, 164, 155. And I'm going 155 just because it looks like a two door because it's got yeah. those handles on the four door but you've got a four door sensible just in case the you know the girlfriend gets pregnant and you need four seats for the bloody baby seat and you've got a v6 alpha and a v6 mazda for 20 grand neil you Love wrote it. this but you said that it can't break down for five years taking a risk <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh chris cooper which seven cars are you choosing so um <laughs> Because I'm 28, I ignored the bit about big bills at the end. <laughs> because, I mean, you would. So, I think mine's mega. So, uh, for the two-door convertible, I think you could get a 97 TVR Chimera of about 8,900. That's, so that's you're in exactly the right place there. Um, Yorkshire Moors, it's beautiful. I had one years ago. Pedals are spot on for heel and towing. Um, teach a new generation about heel and towing. I was at a race, catering race meeting the weekend with Finlay and in the 420, UK 420 Championship. And I reckon of the 18 drivers in that championship, only three of them heel and tow. I mean, this is a national ap epidemic of problem we need to solve. Bring Sorry. back heel and towing. So TVR, and yep. then for the four-door, for the four-door, five-door, uh, sensible family car, it's only a bloody 2003 layer cake Audi RS6. Oh! Can you now get that's that got some, that, that is, get that's me. cheeky, because that's got some bills coming its way. That is a yeah, bloody pit. I ignored it. I'm 28. I've just got my first flight in Leeds. Bills oh. are for tomorrow. Bills are for tomorrow. I love so it. They, together, they come to about £20,800. A little bit of... Negotiation. I love it. Uh, Edward, love it. It sounds to me like uh, this guy's hoping his grandfather's going to pass away soon as well and have another 20 grand. <laughs> I mean all of it. Just some of it. Um, so I, I delved into the sold section of collecting cars. And I, I the, York, the Yorkshire Moors, obviously wonderful roads, but it does get cold and a bit snowy up there. It does. So um, the, the sensible car is a Subaru Forester STI. Yeah. Um, we sold one of those recently. Um, and the other one, so if you're feeling less adventurous, I've gone for a Boxster. Um, and actually, for 10 grand, you can get a pretty decent Boxster. You can. That's a good Evan. call. Um, um, but we also sold, in, in Hong Kong, this amazed me, when I was out in Hong Kong in May, I spoke to a car dealer out there, and so the, the new stuff's really expensive because they've got 120% luxury tax on it. Um but the old stuff, or when I say old, sort of 98 to 2000 and something, you know, they're bloody cheap out there. So we've sold a Z3M Roadster out there for 10,500 quid. That's so 
I think you've got to buy that and just ship it back to two grand in duty. Um, and there we go. That, that's your two car garage up in Leeds. Beautiful. I'm going to uh, I'm going to do my music at the end of this as well because I've got one percent battery left. So I'm living. Hey, I'm loving the jeopardy of living on borrowed time. I'm about to be cancelled by my own computer. So I'm going Golf GTI Mark Seven, uh, an early one like I bought quite recently, 2013. Uh, it's just a great car, hundred thousand miles, ten grand, ten thousand pound car. That um, and then my two seater convertible does have four seats because I believe that if you own a Golf GTI, you quickly realize you have a car that will do everything. You don't need to drive any other car, so you buy a two CV because two CV is the most joyous four wheeled contraption oh. ever made, and I adore them. And every garage has to have a two CV. So you wobble, you'll wobble around with your twenty eight year old girlfriend. You'll be yes. quite happy. My song. Moving on to the music, because this is going to cut out. And Edward, you are now going to take over the podcast. That's terrifying. You will edit from me. You'll take over. I'm, I'm handing you. Don't worry. Come on, just get on with it. You it. might hear all of us. Music, will you? I've got a beach behind me. It's the Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice? Well, it has to be, doesn't oh. it? Because I'm in that mood now. I'm in the holiday mood. <laughs> okay, well, stay um, on. Let's keep going, Neil. Okay, go keep going. What's your music, Edward? Uh, my uh, my music. So um, there's a song that came out on uh, recently, Fred again, I adore you. But that's not the music. So I discovered Fred, <laughs> uh, and the song is Fred again, I found you. And I've been listening to all weekend in my car, and I love it. But Manish will put it on the playlist. Uh, Neil Clifford, what's your music? I've been in Ibiza for two weeks, and I was explaining explaining to my kids that I was in Ibiza in 1985. And in 1985, there was no dance music, certainly no. in Ibiza. And the song that everyone sang to and danced to when I was there with my mates, age 18, was Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Oh, Don't you forget about me. Oh. Spanish Pandy. Do the drums, everything. What a song. Great song. Spanish um, Pandy, what's your... Uh, I Oh, you've gone quiet. No, my absolute favourite wonderful piece of music for the week while I was driving was This is a Man's World, James Brown. Oh, that <laughs> is a piece Chris of music. Cooper, follow that. Follow those two. Don't you forget about me, and it's a Man's World. So, uh, I was thinking about Ibiza as well, because Neil shared lots of pictures of his lovely holiday. So and, you say I'm a Barbie girl. And I thought... Chicane offshore is such oh, a cool track. Just, just carve some corners coming back down the A11 from Thetford. Chicane offshore. Right, Chris, well, we've got I'm enough time. I'm still live. So can I, say, can I say thank you to all our listeners? Um, Edward Lovett's not going to be charged with any of this podcast because I'm still here. He's eggy. He wants to do it, uh, but he can't. So thank you for listening. Uh, tune in next week and thank you very much for your continued support listening to five old men drivel about cars. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.